You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. In 1874, a group of artists put together an exhibition in Paris. They were calling themselves the Anonymous Society of Painters, Sculptors, Printmakers, etc. With branding and name ID like that, you know it was destined to be a hit. While some critics wrote favorably of the show for its depiction of modern life, many were indignant over the sloppy and apparently unfinished work. What separated this show from the Paris Salon was the Salon had a jury of accomplished artists from the Académie de Beaux-Arts selecting artworks and awarding medals. The Anonymous Society of Painters, Sculptors, Printmakers, etc., was a ragtag bunch of lovable misfits. They weren't interested in painting significant figures from history or mythology. They weren't seeking perfection in their rendering. In fact, they couldn't be bothered to even blend their colors. They left that work to the viewer's eye to decipher these fragmented and somewhat blurry images. That's what left Louis Leroy a frustrated critic, to review the show pointing to Claude Monet's work, saying that these were not real paintings, but mere impressions. An impression being sort of kind of a rough sketch. He titled his review saying it was the exhibition of the Impressionists as a way of putting them down. But the artists embraced it, and the movement became known as Impressionism. Welcome to Art Smart from Who Arted, your guide to quick and easy art history. We're cutting through all that art world jargon that doesn't make sense to anyone, because art is for everyone. Welcome to Art Smart from Who Arted. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're going to be looking a little bit at the Impressionists and Post-Impressionist movements. The Impressionist movement was named after a painting by Claude Monet. The work was called Impression Sunrise. The Impressionist movement is extremely popular today because the works tend to have a soft focus. They're a blur of happy little trees and casual scenes of everyday life. They have a rich, colorful palette, and to today's audiences, the Impressionists seem quaint and non-threatening. Of course, to really understand the work and its significance, it's important to put it in a historical context. The Impressionist movement came out of France in the mid to late 19th century. So did photography, and I don't think that's a coincidence. Prior to that time, painters served an important role documenting significant people, places, and things. As cameras became available to fill that role, painters began to shift their focus. I should caveat this by saying that I'm speaking of European culture at this point. In other parts of the world, the attitude was very different. 
Broadly speaking, African artists, for example, would have said that if I want to see an elephant, I'll go look at an elephant. The purpose of art to them was to show something that they couldn't see in the real world, not to copy things that we can already see around us. The European approach was prizing accuracy in representing the figure, kind of the exact opposite of what other parts of the world were doing. Of course, they would long focus on heroes of history or mythology, but always trying to be as realistic as possible in the rendering. The Impressionists changed all that. They were more concerned with the lived experiences and perception rather than highly refined product. They wanted to go out of their studio and paint the landscape as they saw it outside. This move to painting outdoors on location and plein air painting, as they called it, came about because of another 19th century invention, the tube of paint. Before the Industrial Revolution, artists and their assistants would have to work to gather materials, mix pigments, binders, and dilution agents, that's color, the stuff holding it together in solution, and something to thin it out so that it can flow. It was a lot of work to create the paints. Then... They had a limited shelf life. For a long time, artists would store them in a pig's bladder, then glass jars, which were better but not exactly the most convenient to transport if you're bringing a lot of colors. The tube of paint was convenient and allowed the Impressionists to bring all their paints with them as they traveled outside the studio. The easy access to conveniently packaged paints in a wide variety of colors opened a new world of possibilities, and the Impressionists wanted to make use of everything available to them. They left streaks of unblended color flaunting the rich variety of hues that was now available to them. As I shared in my Who Arted mini-episodes on color, many pigments had previously been extremely labor-intensive rare and expensive, but the Impressionists and Post-Impressionists relished the new, cheaper, synthetic pigments. Now, a lot of people will lump Impressionists and Post-Impressionists together because, stylistically, they're fairly similar. Both movements tended to focus on an artist's reaction to the subjects, and they left visible brushstrokes in streaks of color to give the appearance of a quickly painted, spontaneous response capturing the artist's first impression. The key distinction is that the Impressionists tended to focus on appearances. They were interested in optics, the way the eye processed color, light, and shadow. The Impressionist movement was apolitical, just focusing on what they saw in the world around them. Of course, doing so was an inherently political act, as it was boldly rejecting the ideas of traditional hierarchy and the importance of historical figures as subjects. Now, post means later or after, so the post-Impressionists came a little bit later, a little bit after the Impressionist movement. And they made greater leaps altering elements, such as the color, to make a piece more expressive. A great example of this is Vincent van Gogh's Starry Night. While it has the heavy impasto or thick textured brushstrokes that we associate with Impressionism, he rearranged the composition, 
Rather than paint the view exactly as he saw it, he moved the cypress tree to the foreground, creating more dramatic depth, and the scene as he painted it is really more of a composite of different views from his windows, from two rooms in the asylum, and different times of night or early morning. The Impressionists sought to paint a reflection of the world around them, whereas the Post-Impressionists were trying to put their inner workings out into the world. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Now, if I were putting together a small collection to help you better understand the Impressionist and Post-Impressionist movements, these would be my top five artists and works to check out. At the top of the list, I've got Claude Monet and Water Lilies. Now, to be perfectly honest, Claude Monet and his Water Lilies, that was what got me into painting. I still vividly remember seeing that work when I was in second grade and just absolutely loving the color, the brushstrokes, the texture, every bit of it. I found beautiful and captivating. Monet made about 250 paintings of water lilies. It was a subject he returned to over and over. Long after he was wealthy and successful, he continued to paint his garden, bringing in all sorts of exotic plants for inspiration. For me, the water lilies are the height of his work, as we see not only the rich colors, but in some of them, we see close-cropped compositions of the water, with the lilies floating, becoming more abstract, and some figure ground play that I would argue foreshadows art movements to come. Next up, I've got Mary Cassatt and her painting of a little girl in a blue armchair. Cassatt was a woman painting in a man's world. It's not that there were no other female painters, but generally, they did not get the respect they deserved. In the 19th century, most artwork was from the male perspective. Cassatt gives us these intimate and quiet moments of domestic life that really only could have come from a woman's perspective and insights into that world at that time. As I look at the little girl in the blue armchair... The clothing and the style of chair may be different, but the look of a child with clothes askew as they flop onto the furniture, bored or exhausted, that's a look every parent and child can instantly relate to. Kazat captured those types of fleeting moments with subjects that feel sort of unguarded, and she did it beautifully. Now shifting a little bit more towards the post-impressionists, Looking at George Seurat's Sunday on La Grande Jatte, Seurat was an influential post-impressionist. While many people look at the dots and immediately think of impressionism, his work was not quickly dashed off. It was painstaking and methodical. He was creating careful and precise dots. 
While many people would describe it as pointillism, he actually preferred the term divisionism because in his eye, he was dividing up the picture into these discrete dots of colors that make up an image. He made several preparatory sketches and small paintings, experimenting with the arrangement of the composition, the color combinations, all of that stuff. As I said previously in the episode, The Starry Night is a fantastic example of the post-impressionistic style, and I think there's no better artist to talk about the expressive qualities of post-impressionism than Vincent van Gogh. Of course, I could not put together an impressionist-slash-post-impressionist collection without including one of the greatest of all time, Vincent van Gogh and the Starry Night. And finally... Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec, at the Moulin Rouge. Lautrec was a fixture of the Paris nightlife, and his work reflects the frenzied energy of the dance hall, where people of different social status would mingle. A dance floor was in place next to the stage so patrons could come up and join the dancers. And for reasons that are still unclear to me, they had an elephant in the garden. And so I guess the big takeaway from this would be the Impressionists and Post-Impressionists, while they seem quite tame today, they were wild. Also, on a side note, if you check out that collection, you will notice in one of those five works of art, there is a woman casually strolling with a pet monkey on a leash. Let me know if you find it, and share your favorite Impressionist or Post-Impressionist work. You can find me on social media at WhoArtedPodcast, or email me, WhoArtedPodcast at gmail.com. ArtSmart is an airwave media podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to learn more, check out my other podcast, Who Arted, or go to the website artsmartpodcast.com for more free resources.